This is On Your Radar, a podcast series recorded at WGN Radio with the professional staff at Rosecrans. I'm John Williams, and in this series, we talk about the impact, both past and present, that the pandemic has had on adults and their everyday lives, their professional and personal lives, how things have changed, and how some of the changes affecting adults as we settle back into our everyday lives have become the new normal. In this podcast, we talk about young adults who are working to find footing after the loss of structure. And joining us in the podcast today are Dr. Thomas Wright, a psychiatrist and addictionologist. He's the chief medical officer at Rosecrans, and Dr. Adrian Adams, medical director of the Rosecrans-Griffin-Williamson campus. Dr. Wright, welcome. Let's start with you. Are young adults in a different position than middle-aged, older adults, or, or maybe teenagers in youth? Yeah, I I think so, especially when you think about them developmentally, which, you know, psychiatrists and mental health professionals generally do. Certainly the teen years, um, you know, are often uh, while they're still at home and they're struggling with, you know, um, sort of who they're going to be outside the family and sort of how do they separate from the family. And what we think about a Rosecrans as the young adults is really, uh, I think the best way to think about it is what oftentimes you might think about as college-aged uh, people, or in my case, my son chose not to go to college. He's 20 and he started his own business, but, you know, really it's sort of, they launched from home at that point in time. And there's a lot of stressors for that, even though developmentally that's what they're supposed to do at that point in time, there's still a lot of stressors with that. And even if you're in college or starting in the work world at 20, 21 years old, there's a lot of stressors. And then we added COVID on top of that, which is change, and change is hard on all of us. Let's tick off what some of those mileposts are. What are some of those significant things that young people sort of rely on to see their their lives evolving? Well, so certainly they're young, eighteen. Sort of thinking about eighteen to twenty-five, and, uh, and, and as psychiatrists, we look at the brain developmentally too, not just sort of psychologically, but sort of how it's developing. We know the brain doesn't really completely develop until you're twenty. 324 25 years old which is uh it's a good and bad thing it means there's still a lot of flexibility and malleability a lot of things you can learn but um it also means it's a time of change too that you have to struggle so you know um certainly as you become a later teen your task uh really is to uh figure out how to separate from your family and how to develop relationships with people outside of your family and this is often seen by you know sort of teen angst or teen rebellion and a lot of people their you know their friends become more important and particularly in these days you know uh and in covid days too uh a lot of their socialization has occurred uh virtually it's not in person and there's a uh, there's some benefits to that during covid they were able to still stay connected you know, socially, but, you know, sometimes uh, when you're connected virtually, you don't have the same screening mechanisms mechanisms you um, have in place when you see persons face-to-face. And then we look at, you know, the late teens moving into the young adulthood and moving into college, and that's a difficult time um, in the first place. They're uh, first, you know, uh, away from home. They're beginning to discover who they are, and then all of a sudden they have to pick up, and they're adjusting to them. All of a sudden they have to pick up, and they have to go back home. You know, and live in a situation where mom and dad may um, be around and may be wanting to control some of the situations when they had a lot of freedom. And that's been one of the difficult parts about young adulthood with COVID is sort of uh, the rapid changes in their environment. 
And I guess a lot of the norms have changed too, right? I mean, remote work versus in-person work, um, online college courses versus in-person college courses, um, just some of the other mileposts, if you will, of youth, even high school and college graduations, right? That's right. So even just having those milestones of those events, you know, many people in the last two years that have graduated from high school or even college had delayed or didn't have sort of those uh, moments of celebration and those symbols of success that are so meaningful to all of us. I mean, we all care about uh, being successful and people recognizing that. That's very motivating for everybody. And many of these kids didn't didn't have that or had it delayed in a way that just you know, temporarily along their, you know, um, timeline with what they're doing didn't really fit in, so it didn't really make as much uh, sense for them. Um, So uh, these kids are having to adjust a lot more than what uh, most kids uh, have to adjust to moving into college or moving into early adulthood. Especially since for, I guess, most of us, our youth was pretty much defined by a structure, by an adult world, by expectations and routine, and it must have looked like an abyss to some of them when all of a sudden they're learning remotely. They don't have a campus to mosey around. They don't have, you know, some of the maybe things that you see in your first years on the job. I mean, it it must have looked like uncharted territory for them. Yeah, I agree. And, and in my field, you know, anxiety and, um, and, and trouble starts when there's a conflict. And so I think the conflict these kids had is, you know, they're in college and all of a sudden one day they're in there and the next day they're not and they say everything's going to be online. And, you know, college kids, my husband teaches at college, and they were all like, yay. Yes, we just can go on the line. That doesn't mean we have to get dressed in the morning. We don't have to go to classes. So uh, so there was excitement about it, and then they did it for a while, and they didn't like it. They didn't like uh, the lack of interaction. They didn't like the, in- the lack of intensity with it. But yet they were sort of happy in one way because they – you know, didn't have to go to class, but yet they were struggling, you know, learning, which they sort of understood, too. So that's conflict in and of itself. And anytime you have conflict, that's when anxiety develops, and, and anxiety often moves to depression. Depression, you know, I guess in the worst-case scenarios, we've heard about suicides, overdoses. And could parents have or could the young people themselves have anticipated that? Is there a way to know which of these young people are most vulnerable to some of that? There is, you know, and I, I think even podcasts like this, letting people know that there, you know, that there is an increased incident that's happening since COVID, um, you know, lets parents or loved people or loved ones of people that are struggling with it, you know, think about that a little bit more. But I think some of the precursors to that are some of the things that may give you a sign to look at it a little bit more is people that have had struggle before, some degree of ADHD or anxiety or depression or sadness. Oftentimes, uh, in uh, younger adolescents, um, you might see cutting, and that might be reoccurring. Um, sort of isolation, maybe their grades are falling, maybe they're not interacting with friends, maybe they're just interacting with friends over uh, virtually. So there are some signs for it, you know. I think you know, probably our best predictor is sort of past behavior. People that have struggled to some degree with that in the past are going to, you know, a stress is going to bring it out again. And certainly COVID and having to run home is going to be a stressor. You know, doctor, a woman called into the radio station the other day, though. She was talking about her grandson. She said he was a good athlete. He was a good student. He liked to go to school. He liked the social involvement. Last year and a half or so, it's not been like that. All that routine has been stripped away. He's been learning remotely much of the time, et cetera. 
And she said, he is a different person now. And she felt really bad about it. I don't, you know, I don't know what the end of that story is. I don't know how well that young man is doing. But as she was describing, as I said on the radio, many of the things that you all talk about at Rosecrans, how these kids' lives are upended, and suddenly they become somebody that their parents don't recognize. You know, that's right. That can happen. And that's why, and we're learning more. You know, John, we've learned, learned a lot during, you know, almost two years of we dealing with COVID about this right now, too, is we understand, you know, kids, adolescents, young adults, they need to be interacting with other people. We're understanding virtual schools can, um, can be a substitute for a short period of time. The kids do better academically. They do better socially and emotionally um, uh, if, they're, if they're in school. And this includes whether they're in college, you know, sort of young adults in college or high school kids or grade schools. So I applaud the efforts that I've seen over the last few months for colleges to get their kids back and do everything that they can to get their kids back. And we also, you know, know through a lot of research, too, that depending on the school, sometimes kids are healthier, they get better meals, um, better Mm -hmm. structure, you know, more attention. So schools uh, need to be open for a lot of reasons. And so I applaud the efforts that we've seen um, in many, many colleges and certainly many uh, schools, whether it's private or public, to get kids back in there. That's that's the best thing that could be done. You know, for, for this kid, person that you talked about whose uh, grandson maybe was depressed, probably the best thing that they could do um, would be get him back in school. Yeah. Can you talk about some of the challenges those young people find as they do do that, either go back to school or maybe enter the workplace now? I talk a little bit about where they are mentally and, and, and what their world is like, how challenging that is. Um, well, there's certainly starting school and college, there's you know, the normal challenges that I uh, have with leaving home. There's just sort of adjusting to the new schedule. There's adjusting to eating. You know, you don't have mom or dad cooking for you. You have to make some choices uh, on your own, and so that can lead to some unhealthy choices. You know, the freshman 15, we used to call it when I was in school, um, along with it. Uh, and then the social uh, interaction is so intense at that point in time. And there's, you know, some kids that's really... Um, uh, something they thrive with. Some kids, it's very difficult. You know, there's extra, extroverts and introverts with, you know, uh, young adults as well as with uh, adults. And, you know, some people may struggle with that a little bit more. Some might uh, just thrive with too. And I think family members and loved ones need to recognize what their kids are and recognize what to do to be able to support them through that no matter what they're going through. I don't know that previous generations had the benefit of the appreciation for these issues that we're talking about. What do you say to the family that just says, ah, you know, <laughs> we didn't do that back in my day. Uh, what am I supposed to do about your day? You know, you, that's life, kid. Get through it. What do you say to that attitude? Well, um, that's probably not going to be our parent or loved one that's going to be able to help them through it. Hopefully they're not being uh, making it worse, but I think that uh, young adult needs to find other support. And that's where places like Rose Grants, you know, or uh, a college counseling office, or that's where we come in. You know, we can offer that support and that advice and that uh, they can lean on us also. That's what uh, that's where people outside of your family are, are for, too. Um and, you know, and oddly, uh, I, I do know some people that tend to be introverts, you know, may find that support even virtually. You know, I know, you know, my son being one of them and uh, some other friends, too, you know, much of their 
sort of social support might be online playing games and talking to their friends there. So there's a, some parents are sort of right. They need to step up. But if you don't have a parent that can give you that support, you need to find it elsewhere, you know, and, and look for, for wherever, you, wherever you, you know, seem to be able to find it best. I think parents wonder, too, well, all right, so how r- tough should I be? Like, I want to acknowledge it and embrace it and help, you know, be very sympathetic, but I don't want to exacerbate things by not giving them a, a little stiffer spine. And is that a balance that is difficult to figure out? Yes, it is. It's a difficult balance. And it isn't just about what a parent should do. It's about what a child needs that you have to measure also. Like I said, there can be some people that are pretty introverted or extroverted. And, you know, the extroverted person, you might have to sort of structure them back a little bit. The introverted person, you might have to push them forward a little bit. So it's a delicate balance uh, balance that that parents can make. I I will say, you know, um, that this is something I see a lot with parents of young adults and college kids especially is – we see some parents that, you know, and, and I don't mean this in a bad way, but sometimes they're referred to as helicopter parents. You know, they want to control everything. They want to, you know, meet with their college, their kid's college advisor. They want to control what the cafeteria gives to them and might call the cafeteria. They might call the resident advisor in their dorm and make sure, ask the resident advisor to make sure they're doing their homework. That's too much, you know. Um, and if a young adult isn't achieving that, then uh, perhaps some other strategy needs to be uh, in place rather than the parents trying to go around them to get it done. And and personally, I think one of those the major strategies that we see with that is sort of you know, what I call is natural consequences. Um, you know, let that children, and when I'm talking about young adults, I'm 60, so I talk about young adults as children too, but young adults, you know, that are struggling to make it in the world, they need to have some failures, and they will learn from those failures. It's probably one of the hardest things that parents have to do is to see them fail, and it might be failing a class or failing a relationship or, you know, fail with a job, but, you know, this is a time where, you know, the brain is malleable and they learn, and this is where they can learn best, and and, and young adults learn best through experiences, not by listening to another adult. That's what I thought, that sometimes dealing with bad cafeteria food is probably a better consequence than mom getting you healthier cafeteria food that's part of the learning and growing process um you know if you if you don't care enough to take it upon yourself to fix it then maybe it should not be fixed i can say that about starchy food i don't think i would say that about mental health at some point well uh, that's absolutely right and you know and we need to learn to do that ourselves too you know through coaching or oftentimes as a young adult it needs to be through someone else like a counselor at the counseling office if it is a college people at rosecrans you know oftentimes at that age you need to be able to turn to someone else besides your parent to sort of get that support and that help and that's what uh mental health agencies are for like rosecrans or you know or uh, anybody out of school Dr. Thomas Wright, psychiatrist, addictionologist. He's the chief medical officer at Rosecrans. Also here, as we mentioned, is Dr. Adrienne Adams. She's the medical director of the Rosecrans-Griffin-Williamson campus. What is that, doctor? Oh, well, our lovely campus is our residential facility. So with Rosecrans as a company, we definitely have different properties and different treatment modalities. Rosecrans or RGW is a residential six-unit placement for adolescents, young adults. So basically, we work with kids that have substance use disorders, but also mental health issues, both with depression, anxiety, 
eating disorders, uh, self-harmers. So it's a 45-day treatment facility, and we take kids from all over. I think we just got done talking to Dr. Wright about kids who might not be at that level yet. You would be issues where they weren't able to work it out at home or at school, and now we're going to do some sort of residential treatment. True? Yes. And so what was the – is it mental health issues as well as drugs and alcohol and an overlap of the two there? Well, I mean, definitely uh, we do co-occurring disorders, as we call it. Call it. Um, originally with Rosecrans, it has over a 100-year history of working with adolescents, starting off as an orphanage and then growing into working as being one of the bigger substance use disorder facilities self-standing nationally. Uh, I would say over the last 10 years, we've then incorporated more dual diagnosis with kids that have not only substance use disorders, but also mental health. And probably more complicated now because of what's happened over the last couple of years, the pandemic and all? Yeah, we definitely have seen an uptick with children with uh, eating disorders as well as self-harmers. And of course, you know, with four out of 10 people at this point having depression, anxiety, we've had an increase with mood disorders. Four out of 10 people across all ages or young people? Actually, interestingly enough, it was young adults. So that age group, uh, 18 to 24, where you're not quite fully an adult, but you're older than a child. And why do you suppose they're struggling more than maybe even other ages? You know, I, th- I think we'll find is really multifactorial, but I know some of the things that we have noticed would be the isolation um, and a change of routine. I mean, traditionally for that age group, they've had certain milestones that they weren't able to actually receive this time, such as high school graduation, proms. Uh, for college, attending college for the first time, internships. So a lot of milestone developmental things that our young adults would have, they weren't able to um, achieve this over the last two years due to the pandemic and due to things being more remote. And when Dr. Wright and I talked briefly about that, I didn't put it this way, but let me put it this way to you. I think in the past, we've always seen those milestones, if you will, as celebrations, but not necessarily that important. Can you give any context to that? Does that really matter that much that they see proms and graduations and all of the other things that come with the trappings of a normal two-year span at that age? You know, I think we're realizing it really doesn't make a difference. Uh, I believe it's just the fabrics of society. You know, there are just certain things that we all achieve. And so I think for our young adults, we're realizing they did not get to have the traditional structure that we have, a routine as far as having that graduation, that achievement, and having people recognize their accomplishments. As well as, uh, if you think about for someone attending college for the first time, they've focused so much over the years with getting good grades, graduating to go to their college of choice, to not be able to have that final hurrah or that next level of becoming. Of becoming, of becoming an adult, transitioning, Mm -hmm. right. Yes. So I've gone from achievement, achievement, achievement to sitting in my bedroom that I've been in for the last four years and I'm at home still and I feel like I've stalled. Yeah, I mean, a lot of us, we're social beings. I mean, we're humankind because we're all, you know, all the same. And so typically we are realizing that for our young adults especially, they're being more isolated. And so with being more isolated, they're not able to do their normal routines of interactions. And typically we do know with young adults that's part of their developmental stage and that they gain things by having that social inclusion with peers of their age. And so due to the pandemic, 
they've been forced to be more alone, isolated, not able to engage in normal activities, not able to possibly even date, which normally some might be dating for the first time. Uh, Friendships have lagged. And just that one-on-one interaction a lot of our young adults have been missing out on. So then what happens? I mean, so that sucks. Now what happens? How is it that they go from that juncture to maybe needing inpatient care? What happens? What gets them to the Rosecrans facility that you're at? I think it's going to be recognizing the signs. And I think definitely the pandemic has been difficult for all of us, all humankind. And it's been something new and that we haven't had a pandemic and what since the Spanish flu, I believe it was. So, I'll take that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So this is something new for all of us. But I think for our young adults in particular, uh, it's noticing some of the signs. So typically, if they're in bed more, their motivation is low, there are changes in their routine as far as eating, academically, their grades are suffering. Uh, that would be a sign for maybe family members or friends to notice that, hey, maybe there's something wrong. And typically, a lot of our young adults do uh, have counselors still in school. So I would say the counselors in their colleges, high school counselors, Primary care physicians often can do screenings to recognize that there could be additional stressors that would be helpful for the young adult to meet with psychiatry. When they're at the uh, Griffin-Williamson campus, which is where you are, right? Yes. Um, What kind of treatment takes place there then? What is that like? Well, you know, we have we believe in treating the whole person, so we do more of a holistic approach. So typically we do do the screening, and if a person – does require that level of care, which, as you mentioned, there are different stages. There's We start typically with outpatient, which we have that as well, outpatient facility. Uh, we also have some in-school services, which can be helpful for that population. But for kids that are not, that are failing least restrictive treatment, typically they would come to maybe a residential. Inpatient tends to be more of a acute status, but residential is more so maintenance and for more uh, recovery focused. Uh, we tend to provide group therapy, of course, and that we do more of a cognitive behavioral therapy approach along with... What uh, does that mean? Oh, so cognitive behavioral therapy, it's something actually developed by Dr. Aaron Beck, who recently passed away, I believe at 100. So yeah, great, long life, long prosperous life. Uh, that's typically a type of treatment that we recommend. It has an indication both for depression as well as for anxiety disorders, OCD. And it's basically more, uh, I would say, thought. So typically kids that have like those negative cognitions that then can go into a negative affect. So part of the treatment is recognizing when you're having these automatic or negative cognitions to begin to challenge those and to process it in order to change the mood. And that's kind of putting it more. Simply. Sure, but I have negative thoughts, negative thoughts, negative thoughts, and they lead to negative actions. It could be self-harm. It could be some sort of abuse. And so we need to change the thoughts, learn to think more positively. Yeah, and we need and – it, and it's really a lot harder than what, what I'm saying. But typically with these skilled therapists, that's part of the work and that you realize that you're having those automatic thoughts. And a lot of times people don't realize they're even having negative thoughts. They might have an image pop in their mind and then they start feeling more down. So it's really getting that skill set of being able to recognize that, yes, I just had a real negative thought and 
then you challenge it. You say, how likely is this really true? And you, a lot of times we do what we call all or none thinking, where a person feels like, you know, everything's horrible, but really part of the CBT is challenging that thought to say, well, is it really all or none? Or, you know, is it more shades of gray? So it's just kind of challenging what we call a lot of uh, negative beliefs. That sounds like a fairly sophisticated level of treatment. And again, your facility is impatient. Dr. Wright was talking with us more about people who are not at that stage yet. And he was talking about things that you can recognize and even some skills you can do to adapt. What do you say about that? Um, what's the, what is some good advice for young people who are trying to get their footing underneath them, either at school or at work or in some of these transition points in their lives? Yeah, I think it's always important to recognize that there is an issue, which sounds like they've realized that. So definitely trying to incorporate structure. I I think one of the things with the pandemic is that we've kind of lost a lot of structure. Before, we kind of had a routine of getting up, going to school, or starting a new job, going to work. I think with the pandemic, which plus or minus, we've learned to adapt and do things more remotely with online or virtual learning. But I think that also has reduced the structure that a lot of our young adults were used to. So I think getting a routine and structure back, so even if you are doing things virtually to still get up, shower, do your morning hygiene, which is part of your morning routine, so that you're treating your classes as if you were in person. Do you think it's good advice to stop at a certain point of the workday or the school day, too? Don't allow yourself to go 24 hours? I do. I do. I think, you know, that could be, uh, I, I think for a lot of corporations, I think they've realized that for some people working at home is actually a, a great advantage uh, and that they, the workers are actually have more time to work and they're, you know, not having to leave at a certain time. But I think it's important for our young adults to have an end time so that they can still make sure they're pre- uh, providing balance. So they're still having time to do socially appropriate activities, even if it's just doing a um, Zoom room with friends. Talk to the parents of these young people for a moment now. Uh, what what advice do you have for them, either what they should see or what they should do? Okay, well, I, as I mentioned, I think it's really important that we kind of keep everyone with structure. And if we realize that one of our that our child is struggling, the things to look for is if suddenly their grades are going down, which typically maybe they had pretty solid grades, or maybe if they're missing work, unable to get out of bed, uh, they're not taking care of their household items or their hygiene are things to look at, uh, or if we're noticing that they even seem um, they're doing more experimentation with drinking more alcohol than normal, if you're finding bottles of alcohol around or marijuana, paraphernalia, those kind of issues, that would, I would say as a parent, would be a reason to kind of say, hey, are you okay and how can I help? I think the inclination at first would be, hey, stop drinking. Hey, don't use marijuana. Hey, um, clean up your room and get better grades. And now you're treating the symptoms, I'll bet, rather than the the cause. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's that is usually a first uh, inclination for a parent to just uh, more so shout. But the big thing is to enlist a conversation with your young adult because obviously there's something internally going on that they're self-medicating with these things. So you want to kind of find out how you can help and also provide encouragement to seeking outside help with possibly uh contacting your primary care physician if you don't have a psychiatrist or even going to your insurance and seeing if there's a 
psychiatrists or psychologists or social worker or whatever mental health clinicians available to get your foot in the door to start working on those issues. I suppose here's how a lot of those conversations start. Hey, how's it going? I've noticed X, Y, and Z. Oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. It's good. We're good. Yeah. And, and so it's really going to be hard for the parent, but I think the parent will have to kind of push beyond that because it's typically a lot of times we don't want to admit even to ourselves that things aren't right or are or things are a problem. So it'll be really important for the parents to kind of say, well, you, you know, I hear that. But on the other hand, I'm noticing that you've had you haven't emptied your trash in like five weeks or whatever <laughs> yeah, thing yeah 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 but i also think too that some of that would have been normal outside of a pandemic that is uh, kids be- can become recalcitrant and non-cooperative and that's normal so now what is this is this the the you know the the normal evolution of a young person or is this something that needs mm-hmm. to be tended to you know yeah, and that's kind of hard to figure out. That's why I, I recommend just there's no harm in getting it checked out. I mean, at the you know at the worst, someone will say, "Yeah, you know, you're right. There is a problem, but we're happy to help." Or at the best, we'll say this is just normal developmental behavior, but we could still help improve the communication lines between the parent and the child because there could be still some communication or family work that could be beneficial. Yeah. Well, I suppose as we wrap this up, if we're trying to help young people find their footing after a loss of the structure around them, and it's quite possible that this sort of uh, uncertain foundation is going to be there for a while, um, the first step is is what? What would you say to either the the young people or to their parents? What's the uh, first step to sort of getting a more solid foundation? Hmm. That is a thoughtful question. Well, I will say first for the young adults that they should congratulate themselves for getting past uh, the last couple of years because they've been pretty tough on everyone. So I have to say good job for that. Uh, but also for them to notice if they aren't performing or if they're feeling that things aren't going as well as they normally do to kind of think about what's different and what what should I do to improve things. And as I said, structure is going to be a really big thing. So just making sure that you have structure to your routine during the day. You're still doing your morning hygiene. You're still exercising, which is a really big thing because I think um, over the pandemic, there's been a uptick in people gaining weight due to, um, I guess, unrestricted eating or just eating more frequently. So I would say physical activity is going to be important, but still reaching out to your friends. Even with having the pandemic, it's important to still uh, do your planned Zoom meetings or FaceTime, or you can meet outdoors where you're able to socially distance. Or, you know, definitely we have, we're still doing some restaurants, I believe, as long yeah. as you're socially distancing with masks. So just making sure that you don't isolate, but you still reach out. And it's okay to ask for help. Yeah. Well, those last words are maybe the most important. Dr. Adrian Adams, the medical director of the Rosecrans Griffin Williamson campus in Rockford, which I've toured before, and it is the most uplifting place you'll ever see. There's a lot of hope and good things that go on there. Yeah, I I, I love it. I love it there, and, and we are the staff. That we're we're all very committed, and we love what we do. Thanks for coming in. Thank you for having me. This is On Your Radar, The New Normal, a podcast series produced by WGN Radio and the doctors and clinical staff at Rosecrans. With over 60 locations throughout Chicagoland, northern and central Illinois, Wisconsin, and Iowa, help is just a click or call away. 
Go to rosecrans.org or call 866-830-8729 for more guidance and information. Rosecrans, life's waiting. 